This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning. How are we all doing this morning? We all right? Yes. Good. If it's your first time with us here at uh, ABC Church, we give you a very, very warm welcome. Choices, choices, choices. Life is full of choices, isn't it? Some of you made decisions and choices today. Choices to get up out of bed. Choices to have breakfast or to skip breakfast. Choices to wear a nice pink dress. Choices to, in the case of the gentleman, not wear a pink dress this morning. Choices, choices, choices. Do you know, in our consumer world, where we are faced with choices every day, any of you been to the coffee shop recently? It's now just, just not a simple choice between latte, cappuccino, or americano. We now have double shot, skinny, white, I don't know, all of these choices with all of these Stuff that people put in coffees. What on earth is going on with coffee? Choices. 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 Do you know various internet sources? So I've been on the internet over the last couple of weeks as I was doing research to see how many choices we make in a given day. Guess how many choices we make in a given day in Western society? Double it. Double it. 180, multiply it by 180. Do you know 35,000 choices a day we make? Because think about it. We've got a, you know, a spoon, brush. We make choices of where to find things. And this number may sound absurd, but in fact, did you know that we make just relating to food alone? 226.7 decisions each day. The reason I know it's 226.7 decisions each day is according to researchers that conducted a study at Cornell University, the guys' names were Wonsink and Sobel. That's the guys were, you can Google them. Um, And they worked out that just relating to food alone, we make 226 decisions each day. Things like, shall I have salt with that or shan't I? All the choices that we make. Do you know that our Prime Minister has to make at least 50, apparently, according to a book by Alistair Campbell, the Prime Minister, that was Tony Blair at the time, has to make 50 key decisions and choices every day in governing our nations. In our nation, President Obama said that the reason he only had one black suit and one navy suit was to eliminate a decision that he would need to make that day in order to simplify his life. Isn't that interesting? Choices, choices, choices. The decisions and the choices that we have to make every day, there's a multitude of them. What to eat, what to wear, where to go, what to read, what to watch, what to buy, what to believe, what jobs and careers we will pursue, how to vote, who not to vote for, who to spend our time with, who will we date, who will we marry, 
What we will say, how we will say it, not to say. Do we have kids? Shall we have kids? Yes, let's have kids. What school shall we send them to? What school shall we not send them to? Choices, choices, choices. Our world is full of choices. And some of the big choices that are made every day affect us and affect the people around us. In fact, just over 50% of you, maybe, that are here today, but we know that it's just over 50% voted for Brexit. Any Brexiteers in here? Any Bremainers in here? All I know is there's a lot of Bremoning going on and a lot of Brexit. And there's lots of, but that choice is going to affect our everyday lives. And we will soon find out whether that was a good decision or a poor decision in the passage of time as history shows us. And even other choices, the choices and the decisions that were made with regards to the Iraq war, were there weapons of mass destruction or not? I don't know, but it affected our politics, it affected oil prices, it affected currencies, and the best studies that we know argue that September the 11th, when 2,996 people lost their lives at the Pentagon and the World Trade Center, quite possibly that terrorist would not have happened if we had not invaded Iraq. Because the choices that we make have implications on our lives. Did you know that God makes choices too? Did you know that? God made a choice that you would be born into the world. It wasn't down to your mother and father. They think that it is. But there are some of you that you think were maybe unplanned children. That people would say you were an accident. There are no accidents with God. The Bible teaches us that he chose you before the foundation of time. Before you were in your mother's womb, says the scripture, I knew you. You are wonderfully made. How amazing is that? Does that encourage you today? That God made a choice. God made a choice that on the 16th, uh, sorry, on the 23rd of March, 1969, at just past 10.30 a.m., that I would pop out into the world at Thunderfree Hospital. And here I am in all my splendor before you today. My mother and father think they had a choice. God had ordained for me to be born at this time because God makes choices. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 says this, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And Ephesians 1 verse 4 says this again, that, we are chose, that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And it's those scriptures that I want to gather together and I want to um, turn uh, in a moment and ask you to put your fingers in your Bible ready at 1 Samuel chapter 16 as we turn to the word of God um, this morning. But in this subject of choices, God not only chooses lots of things around us, God chooses people. And God 
chooses to work through certain people. Why does God do that? So what I thought I would share with you this week, and this is off the back of several messages that we've had. Remember when Ruth spoke a a great message on purpose? And we've had so many messages encouraging us to step out in our gifts and to use all of what we have to the glory of God. But I want you to know that in all the gifts and the talents and abilities that each one of us has, God chooses. God chooses to use us because of a few things that I want to look at this morning. God will use you for three things, I believe. That he's looking for in your life and mine. Thank God that he's not looking for a great education from us. Because I'm pretty sure I would fall short. Thank God that he's not looking for us all to be over six foot six. Because I know I would fall short there too. I don't know what you think God is looking for. Is he looking for talent? And that you must be able to sing a note or you must be able to hold a tune or you need to be like Superman or Superwoman or you need to be the kind of person that would be in front of Fortune magazine or that you need to be on the, the, one of the celebrities that you would read maybe in Hello magazine. What is God looking for when he chooses? Luke 9 verse 35 says this, where God speaks over his son Jesus, and he says, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Acts 9, verse 15. Listen to this scripture. Bizarre that God should choose a murderer that's working against him in the form of Saul. And Acts 9, verse 15, the Acts of the Apostles write, Luke is writing there, the same author in Luke's Gospel. He writes and he says about Ananias that the Lord had said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument. My chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Turn to me to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and let's find these three things that God is looking for in your life and mine for us to be chosen. I don't know quite fully when they come, but they must be there for us to be chosen of God. You see, he will take murderers and he will take adulterers. He will take people of all shapes, all sizes, all kinds of intelligence or lack of intelligence, all kinds of gifts or non-gifts. God is looking for three particular things, I believe, that we will learn from Scripture this morning in order for us to become chosen too. Let's us show these three things in our life today as we look at our message together, which is simply called Chosen. Turn to me to 1 Samuel and chapter 16. Words are on screen if you want to follow me, and I'm reading this morning from the New International Version. The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel was the priest at that time, he said this, how long will you mourn for Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel um, at that time. There had been Eli the priest, interesting isn't it? Eli the priest, you think his sons would follow hard after God? But they didn't. And then God chose Samuel. 
You think Samuel's sons, knowing the way, would serve hard after God and honor it, honored him. But none of the sons of either Eli or Samuel were chosen because they lacked what God is looking for. So the children of Israel, because they're losing battles and all of what's going on, the, the Israelites say, we want a king. And so they ask for a king, and Saul is chosen. But Saul falls short, and he is deselected, chosen no more. And God decides to choose someone else through the hand and the voice of Samuel. This is that story. How long will you mourn for Saul, says verse 1, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. That's an animal's horn, like a ram horn or whatever that they would use for anointing. So that's not a horn. It's not one of those horns, okay? It's a horn that he comes. Fill it with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. Fulfilling so many prophecies here that get fulfilled through Jesus Christ, isn't it, as a result. So he goes to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears about it? He'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you. Well, I'm a farmer's son. Good choice. Good choice. If you're going with him, would you, would you take a heifer? Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. God does all the choices, folks. The one that I indicate. So, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Because Samuel's the man of God. Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you know where we're going this morning? Do you know where we're going when we're looking about the three things that God looks for? Not looking for talent, not looking for stature, not looking for good looks, not looking for education, not looking for lineage, not even looking at your past. God does not look at outward appearance. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, no, has the Lord chosen this one? 
Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest. Emrys, there is still the youngest. No matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, God is not ageist. He uses anybody that will throw, that will show the three qualities. There is still the youngest. Jesse's dad answered, he is tending the sheep. Oh, this is a message for farmers this morning, heifers and sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Did God choose him for that? No. But that's, you see, how Samuel saw him. So we're capturing here in these texts and we're capturing here in the writing the way man sees things so often. And I believe that verse is given to us just as a, a way for us to just notice these things sometimes, that even though we know this stuff of how God chooses, we still look at the outside of how people dress and what they say and how they wear and what they look like in the way that we look on the outside. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Good to be the one, is it? I don't know, sometimes. I'm sure Meghan Markle, on the day that she had the wedding with Prince Harry, I'm sure she was delighted to be the one. I don't know if she's aware of all the press and everything that will come her way. Maybe there are consequences to the choice and the decision that she has made. But Harry chose her, and she became the chosen one. And I don't know if you've seen it, some pictures that were happening on the day, very, very fascinating. There's a picture of her with a friend touring England in, uh, when she was 15 years of age, she came over, and there's a picture that's been t taken of her and her friend outside Buckingham Palace when she was 15 years of age. Who would have thought that she would be marrying one of the princes of Buckingham Palace sometime later? So he sent for him, brought him in, glowing, fine appearance. The Lord said, rise and anoint him, this is the one. Verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Let's pray. Father God, as we turn to your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would Open our eyes and our minds to give us a glimpse today of how you work. Lord, we are so guilty as people of judging books by their covers and jumping to all kinds of conclusions about people that quite often is contrary to the way you see people. So would you help us today, Lord, through your word as you speak to us, help us to see the heart and mind of God in a new way. For, Lord, I believe there are many in this house that are listening to me and those that are listening to me online right now, Lord, that you have chosen them and maybe they don't know that they're chosen by you. 
So I pray for divine revelation. I pray for the work of your Holy Spirit to work on men's hearts right now that gifts might be released in Jesus' name. I ask and everyone said, Amen. Choices, choices, choices. Decisions, decisions, decisions. Thank God that God makes wise decisions. Have a look at this video, which is a rather unwise decision that someone made in a safari park one day while out with the children. Can you believe this? Have a look at this. At a safari park. It was a sunny day when a French family decided to take a drive through safari park Bergen in the Netherlands. Other park visitors started recording the family when they decided to get out of their car. Three people, including a small child, exit the vehicle while a group of cheetahs lounge in the shade just meters away. Nothing happens. The family gets in their car, drives a little bit further, and gets out again. This time, the cheetahs spring into action. Five people rush back to the car as the cheetahs get close. A woman holding a toddler faces the cats and swipes with her arm, a move that likely keeps them from pouncing. No one was hurt. The park's manager told NOS Radio 1 News the family was very lucky. For United News International, I'm Cambry Caldwell. How crazy is that? I mean, the French are a little bit crazy, okay, so I'm not going to say any more than that. But how crazy is that? I don't know what happened. You know, in 2016, I don't know if you're aware, but at, a, at a, an Asian safari park, a husband and wife had an argument in the car. She got out of the car in order to give her husband a piece of her mind, went and opened the door, and the lion literally took her, and she was uh, mauled to death uh, by the lion. Maybe the moral of the story is don't argue with your husband while he's driving. I don't know. But the choices that we make are so important. Thank God that God does not make foolish choices. But sometimes, when we look at the choices God makes, we judge. And we pull false accusations sometimes against the choices that he makes. And we say, Lord, why would you choose them? Why would you choose a killer like Saul? to take the gospel to a whole nother level of penetration amongst Jews, uh, amongst the Gentiles. Why would God do that? Well, the only answer I have for you is that verse that I quoted to you right at the beginning, which Paul himself writes to the church in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27. God has chosen the foolish things of the world in order to confound the wise. And I'm glad he does that, because in so doing, he gets the glory, doesn't he? He demands the glory, because in our own power, in our own might, there's so many things that we could or couldn't do. So I'm going to just reflect on the life of David here. And most of us as believers know the life of David, the shepherd boy. And you know, the Life of Joseph, the shepherd boy, shows one key thing about David. In fact, we see a similar thing in Saul, King Saul, when he's chosen. You see, let's seeing as we're on the farming and agricultural theme, not only can we talk about sheep, Emrys, and we can talk about heifers, but we could, in the case of Saul, talk about donkeys, couldn't we? 
how Saul went off searching for donkeys. You know, working with sheep and donkeys and heifers, it's not glamorous, is it? At all. Mucking out the sheep. In fact, it's interesting that when Jesse put seven children in front of him, he didn't go and get the shepherd boy that was probably, instead of being at the festivities and enjoying the meal with them, he was busy serving his father by taking care of the sheep. And one of the first steps I believe that God is looking for is God wants people that are chosen by him to put him first in loyalty. To put him first in obedience. You see, we cannot have misplaced loyalties if we want God to use us. We have to, obedient, have to be obedient to what he calls us to do. And obedience is a big word, but it's so difficult to live, isn't it? How many of us as believers know that? When God prompts your heart to say something or to do something, or when there's something that you know that you should be uh, doing in your life, it is difficult to be obedient, isn't it? Let's be real here. Particularly when they're unglamorous things. But we see in the lives of everyone that's chosen by God, we see obedience from them. You can go from Moses and his so, <laughs> so difficult journey with God that every time he goes up, if I was him, I wouldn't go up Sinai anymore, would you? Every time he goes up Sinai to meet with God, he comes back, something goes wrong. And all the time he's caught between God and man all the time with all of what God wants him to do. But he freed them from slavery, freed them from the children of Israel. And no sooner they are out of slavery, they are complaining that they want to be back there. But Moses just had to be obedient. Whether it was his rod to throw it down and pick it up. Whether it was all the things that he was asking for. And interestingly, even that one moment that Moses disobeyed God ends up costing him putting his feet to go into the promised land himself. Because instead of speaking to the rock, he smote the rock with his staff in frustration. God is looking for obedience. And we quote this verse regularly, don't we? Our hearts should be the same as that of those that were tending at the first miracle that Jesus took place in the wedding in Cana of Galilee. When they wanted, they ran out of wine. Bad place to be in a wedding with no wine, isn't it? They ran out of wine. And so they get water jars and they, Jesus says, fill them with water. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the middle of all of this quandary that goes on, where they're saying, what shall we do? And they go and speak to mam. They go and speak to Jesus' mom and say, what shall we do? He's telling us to fill water pots. And she uses these words. Whatever he says to you, do it. And that calling is the same upon us that whatever God speaks to you and says to you in your life, you do it. Martin. God is doing some incredible things in your life through that school. And you would seem and felt led to give you this word in the middle of the service, but you would feel that those things are insignificant. But you have been chosen to be there by God. Just walk in it, brother. Just walk in it. You are there for such a time as 
this. Be obedient to all of what he sets in your heart to do, my friend. We all need to be obedient in what he says. And when we are obedient to him, do you know what? It'll sometimes turn your family against you. It'll turn your friends against you. It'll turn all manner of people against you. We have to decide where we will put our loyalties. Are we going to put our loyalties on the side of God? Or are we going to put our loyalties on the side of man? Tend the sheep. It's unglamorous. But those are the signs of obedience. That if we are prepared to honor God in small stuff, God is true to his word and begins to honor us in big stuff. You know, Elijah and Elisha were together for quite some time. And the only reason Elisha had hung around with the prophet Elijah was he wanted a double portion of his anointing, didn't he? Yeah. And what was the conditions? The conditions were quite simple. Elisha Bach, I don't know if he spoke Welsh, but he might have. Elisha, if you see me go, that was it. If you see me go, you will receive a double portion of my anointing. So what do you think that meant? You had to be with him 24-7? He couldn't just go home and see mom? He had to be alert? He had to... Be awake, you had to serve him, you had to do all of those things that eventually, because of Elisha's obedience, ended up with him having a double portion. And if you read your scripture, you can count them up as I would. You will see that the miracles that Elisha performed and the miracles that Elijah performed, if you add them up, they are exactly double recorded in scripture for us. So the first thing God looks for is obedience. God first in loyalty. The second thing he looks for, God first in heart. Our dedication and our commitment to him. You see, that's different to obedience. You see, we can serve out of legalism and obligation, can't we? Can't we? Some of you may be that are in a job at the moment that you, you can't stand. Maybe you're in a career that you think, oh, I'd love to get out of this. You are serving in that chosen career out of loyalty, aren't you? Aren't you? Loyalty to your family or to the bank or to whoever to pay the mortgage or, or whatever. Don't give up on your dream. But it's good to serve out of obligation. But what God wants us is to serve out of passion and out of our hearts. And you see, while he is out there tending the sheep, is young David, I don't know what his life is like out there. I've tended sheep when I was younger. They are stubborn old things. They go where you don't want them to go. They do things you don't want them. In fact, I am sure they have a conference at the beginning of the year when it comes to lambing time, where they speak to each other and say, excuse me, now then, which one of us here this year is going to just die on the farmer for no apparent reason whatsoever? I'm sure they have conferences because it'll be nothing for you to walk around sometimes and a sheep has just dropped dead on you, you know. And then you've got to 
kind of bring them back to the farm and sort everything out. Sheep are really difficult things, which is why they are used as an illustration by Jesus, I believe, when he talks about the parallel of him being the good shepherd and us shepherding people. But tending the sheep is difficult. And so I just wonder that in order to keep David's heart pure, is that why he switches on his equivalent of the iPod? You see, there was no music, no Apple around that day, no wireless, no MP3s, no CDs. The best he could muster was a harp. So he's got his harp. And in the middle of it all, he plays his harp that God uses and takes him places because of his harp playing. And he is obedient with the harp. But do you know what he's doing? He's maybe singing to the sheep, putting a little song together. And a lot of his songs, in fact, the majority of David's songs that he put together, I don't know what age he was, whether he did them as king or whether he did them as shepherd boy. But we can turn to the Psalms and you can see the majority of the writing of David. In fact, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Was he playing the harp when he wrote that? Was he there looking at the sheep and as he's taking care of him, there are seeds of his future that's taking place because he is honoring God with all that he has. He's obedient. He says, I'm going to honor my father and mother. I know that. Moses taught us that. Honor your father and mother. So I'm going to honor my father. If he wants me to look after sheep, I look after sheep. If he wants me to take sandwiches to my brothers who are in the battle, I'll suck it up and I'll take the sandwiches because he's obedient. But above all of this, we see David's harp. We see his dedication and commitment to God. That he says, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not be in want he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, even though I walk through the valley of... Did you see it? Do you see these two components that we've discussed so far that are in David's life? That he is obedient. God first in loyalty. That he is dedicated. God first in heart. Is God first in your loyalty? Is God first... In your heart. And finally, and critically, God first in service. For us to be willing. Any of you heard the phrase, my father used to be one of my father's favorites? You see, Philip Ach, he would say to me, God doesn't want our ability, he wants our availability. God doesn't want our ability. He wants our availability. Do you know what I've discovered over time? My father's half right. You see, there are lots of people that are available, but they're not willing. God wants more than our ability. He wants more than our availability. He wants our willingness. Let me explain. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm traveling home in my car. My wife is sleeping soundly in bed. Now, those of you that know my wife, she has no mechanical skills to be able to repair a car that man or beast knows of whatsoever. She can't change car tires. She can sort out her nails. 
She can't wash the car, but she can wash her hair. There are all of these things that my wife can do, but mechanics is not something that my wife has been blessed with. So I find myself in this predicament as I'm driving back in the story at three. This hasn't actually happened. This is just a tale. I'm traveling back at three o'clock in the morning when my car breaks down and I need help. Who do I phone? I could phone the RAC. But imagine I'm so close to home that what I need to do is phone a friend. I'm going to leave the car there and just have somebody pick me up and take me home. And maybe have a look at the car. You see, I'm looking at a pile of faces here of everybody here that has some kind of automotive skill that could help me. Some kind of talent that he would. But the decision on who I choose would not be based on availability. Because I know most of you are available. The decision I would be making would be based on willingness. Who could I phone that would say yes? And I've got to be honest, and I was pursuing this thought this week as I was going, who would, if I had to pick someone in my church, I'm pretty sure all of us would pick the same person at our church, wouldn't we? I'm sorry, Gareth, your phone would be going at three o'clock in the morning. Why would we pick Gareth? I saw a couple of you said yes, yes. Do you know why? Because Gareth would just turn around to me, probably, <laughs> possibly. I'm pretty sure Gareth would say, yep, where are you, mate? Where are you, mate? That's what he'd say to me. And I said, oh, I'm here, yeah. Give me time to get changed. I'll be down right now. That's pretty sure what I think the reaction would be. How many of you agree with me? There would be no, for goodness sake, man, Phyllis, three o'clock in the morning. Why are you phoning me here now? You see, God is not looking for even availability. God's looking for willingness. Willingness. Will we turn around and say, here I am, use me? Will we turn around and say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears? Will we respond to the choice of God when he chooses us? I pray that as we reflect on these three areas of our lives over how God chooses, God chooses those that are willing, obedient, and dedicated. God chooses those that will put him first in service first in loyalty and first in heart and motive and so the young shepherd boy who put him first in service and was willing when a whole army 